This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Malaysia's new cabinet will officially clock in this morning, including the Minister of Digital Communications, Fahmi Fazil. His is arguably the most important portfolio when it comes to policy matters pertaining to the news media industry. So what kind of reforms and policy action is needed to strengthen media independence and freedoms? We're exploring some of the suggestions from civil society for the new cabinet this morning. First up, we'll hear from Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at Taylor's University. Good morning, Ben. Thanks very much for joining me today. Now, you've been a vocal proponent for the setting up of a Malaysian Media Council, which has been stalled for two years and is also one of the proposals put forth by Pakatan Harapan in their GE15 manifesto. Why do you see this institution as vital for the country's media ecosystem? So there are generally a few different ways to sort of like regulate the media, you know. Uh, Regulating the media is often seen as a very problematic um, approach, especially if you come from a very libertarian kind of mindset. You know, the idea that you you would, when you hear the word regulate, that often means government interference. And in uh, libertarian uh, media uh, philosophies, that is seen as uh, a huge uh, no-no to a certain extent. That is considered to be impossible and provides the government with a way that it shouldn't because the view from the libertarian side is that the media are the only, are only able to sort of be critical of the government if the government cannot censor or interfere in that way as well. So um, in light of that, the only way to really regulate the media is through a form of self-regulation. That's where the media council comes in. You know, it's comprised of people, uh, of members that come from the media, from, you know, civil society, from the public, and you can even have representatives from the government, but the government does not control the council in that sense. So uh, the idea here is that this allows the media to self-regulate itself, meaning that the media organizations that are recognized, that are seen as the media, can then define what are the standards, what are the code of ethics, and what are the practices that reflect what a reputable news organization should be doing. And then every sort of like news outlet agrees that we will follow by these standards and rules. And that allows for if there's any media outlet that sort of like does things that steps out of line, that doesn't do things in the way that is prescribed or breaks any of these sort of like a code of ethics. And then the media council can then uh, sort of like meet up punishments or to sort of like force the media outlet to sort of like um, fix their way of working things or to censure them in a very different way as well. So that's really the how the media council is supposed to work in that sense. So the idea is that the media players themselves make up the rules that um, that they all agree to. The idea is everybody has buy-in into what the uh, l- regulatory environment is. But how will we then ensure that uh, the uh, environment has, is, I guess, a sufficient standard um, for, for the public benefit? Is that where the government then steps in to ensure that uh, it is of that standard? For I, that's a very very good question. I wouldn't. I would say that the government does play a role in ensuring that. But this is where civil society, uh, civil society organizations, and also even uh, sort of like acad- academics or scholars, they will come in. You know, they will bring in. Uh, these are best practices from other countries that have sort of like executed very well done media councils and see what are the best ways to sort of like engage in this issue. And I think part of it is also because in Malaysia, uh, a lot of our uh, local journalists don't really have any sort of like standardized rule or sort of like a standardized code of ethics, you know, different uh, journalists, um, unions and organizations, different media companies all have their own respective sets of code of ethics, none of which are the same and all have different varying levels of, you know, quality and values and uh, respect towards certain ways in which um, journalism practices are looked at as well. So 
I think that's really going to be the biggest issue as well, which is why whatever media council that is sort of developed in Malaysia, it can it should not reflect the current standards of journalism in the country because the way that journalism has operated in this country has always been under a sort of like a very oppressive purview. You know, there are so many laws here that restrict media freedoms and the ways that journalists operate. And as such, journalists have sort of like evolved in a way where they only know how to operate under those very, very uh, extreme situations. And so a media council that reflects those values is not going to do any much better. So if, in fact, the media council should actually be aspirational in the way that it presents its code of ethics, that these are what we hope that the media is going to rise up to as a result of that. Because right now, the current trust of the me- in the media across for the whole of Malaysia is actually quite low. I mean, when I say quite low, it's simply because there is no single media outlet that really cuts across that people will recognize as this is a reputable media outlet that everybody in Malaysia can trust to be accurate. Different uh, bubbles, different groups all have different ways of thinking about the media as well. And so need, the media council then has to work to restore that trust in our media institutions. And that has can only be done if they can really focus on improving the journalism standards that we have right now. So you're talking about um, bringing together what has become a rather fragmented space in a way. I mean, how much progress was made towards setting up the Media Council before it was put on ice back in 2020? And what do you see any obstacles that need to be overcome in order for this council to come to fruition? The pro tem committee was formed to sort of like decide what would be the initial proposal or what, how the media council would be formed. And they ended up coming up with a uh, proposal document. I think it came out in April 2020, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe a year later. And uh, since then, they've been sort of dormant, but they do have a working proposal. And that's actually a good starting point to sort of like build off of that as well. Now, the biggest problem that I, that Again, I was not part of that program committee, but I did sort of like observe the way the program committee grew and had a lot of members in it for a long period of time. And one of the biggest problems that we saw was that uh, there was an overrepresentation of media owners in that pro tem committee. And usually when people think about media councils, they think about journalist representation, they do not include media owners in that view. You know, Media owners are often seen as having uh, slightly different views of journalism because, again, they care more towards the economic aspects of journalism rather than the actual editorial aspects. But in Malaysia... We don't, um, the media owners have actually done, have sort of like created this environment where they actually see themselves as journalists as well. So when you look at the pro tem committee, you will see that there's a lot of representation from uh, media owners. And also, you've got multiple uh, media representatives under the same major conglomerate. So there's an overrepresentation from one particular media company in there as well. So this causes a lot of problems in the way that the media, the proposed membership of the council might be a little bit one-sided as a result of that. So that was sort of like my immediate, um, the issue that I had with the initial pro tem committee. So I think going forward, there needs to be a more balanced approach where you you actually look at involving, uh, you can have media owners in there, of course, but you also should involve journalists, journalism, working journalist organizations. You should have uh, CSOs that work in the media space. You should also have uh, media scholars and sort of like ac- academics who can then provide a more critical view of whatever is happening in there as well. So there has to be a much more balanced representation. 
Right. So just having a variety of viewpoints rather than maybe one dominant viewpoint. Now, uh, Ben, if I understand correctly, I mean, we've been looking at the issue of um, disinformation, especially on social media during the election season. And um, you've been calling for a media council as one of the ways to counter this disinformation. I take it that the way this is done is by creating a a media environment that uh, people actually trust in more so than social media sources. Is that how it would work? Is that how it would strengthen uh, media integrity? Yes, in theory, that's what it would work. Because the idea here is that in uh, if you have a country that has a very um, powerful and very uh, reputable and credible media, people will naturally gravitate towards them to sort of see, okay, this is a this is an article that I can trust to be accurate. I can trust that it's fact it's factual, and I trust that it's been vetted and is going to be correct. Um, in Malaysia people do actually have those sort of like uh, values of media. You know, if you ask any English-speaking person, uh, sort of, if you ask people who live in KL, very likely they'll say, okay, I think Malaysia Kini or The Star is going to be quite reputable. Um, if you ask people who are Malay-speaking, they have a different set of, of, of new sites that they refer to as well. Problem is that we don't have any standardized ones. So different, um, depending on which sort of like language sphere that you're in, you're going to have different levels of standards and values as a result of that. So that's one of the big problems that we have. So by having a media council, you can then sort of like create this environment where the media actually sort of like regulate themselves. They follow a standard set of practices that will elevate the quality of all news coverage across the board and not just with specific media outlets as well. And that in itself allows people to be, okay, I'm, even though I may only say list, uh, like consume news from say English media or Malay language media or even Chinese language media, but I know that they all have the same standards so that it doesn't matter whether um, if I'm in this specific bubble, because the quality of news is going to be roughly the same at the very least. I feel like this this is uh, something that could take years in the making almost. It's not something that I see happening in the next six months at least. Um, what do you think the government should then be doing in the interim to strengthen the media environment? What policies would you want to see the government um, put forward Yes, you're absolutely right. All of these things are not going to happen overnight. They're not even going to happen probably in the next year or so. You know, the last time that they tried to form the media council, the program committee took two years and only came up with a proposal after three years, basically. And so it's going to be a long process. It's probably going to take the entire term to complete for these reforms to actually come to fruition. Now, that doesn't mean that, the that you know, um, that the government is powerless to do anything about it. There's a lot of different ways they can go about doing it. And one of the ways, again, this is something that I advocate for in my own work, is really uh, to improve individual media literacy. So individual media literacy essentially is the ability for people, like regular people, when they encounter any form of information or news online, that rather than taking it at face value or like sort of like just seeing and reacting to it on the spot, people take extra steps to sort of evaluate, to fact check, to see if that works. You know, all of the things that uh, you wouldn't need to do if you actually had a strong media environment because your media would do all that work for you and you can trust that they would do it correctly. Now, we don't have that at the moment. And so it really uh, falls on people to actually do it themselves. Now, um, that's not to say that the government hasn't been doing media literacy efforts, you know, like previously, you know, we have sites like Sabernania.my and other uh, efforts as well. But the problem with the previous approaches that the gov- that the other governments have done before has always still to sort of like assume that the government is still the authority in uh, sort of like the cr- in objective news that what that as long as the government says something is true that it is automatically true and that's a 
problematic position to take if you want to teach media literacy because you're essentially teaching people to become reliant on the government rather than actually developing proper media literacy uh, sort of like methods. And so I would actually urge the government that comes in that instead of just sort of like building off those existing blocks, I mean, building off that old assumption, reshape the way that you want to present media literacy and also focus on working with so many other CSOs. You've got things like Arus Academy with their Media for All initiative. You've got uh, CIJ who does a lot of work in this space. Uh, You've got uh, new new players like uh, media like me who basically are trying to try to teach people how to think about media literacy in a very very strong form. So the government doesn't ha- if they don't have these tools that are present right now, they can work with these existing organizations, and in doing so by either amplifying their work or incorporating their work into their own media literacy engage public engagement, that actually builds trust in the public because the public can then see that oh it's not just the government saying that we're right, but they're working together with other CSOs in the space to sort of like build this idea that yes we should trust information around us and you shouldn't be looking at a single source. That's really one of the main things about media literacy that you cannot rely on a single source for all your information. So I think for me, that would be the best way that they can go about uh, sort of like trying to do this in the interim. This is something that can be done uh, relatively soon and quite quickly, And but it requires a lot of engagement uh, outside of the government in that sense. So that, again, requires a lot of political will to do. Ben, thanks very much for your insights. That was Dr. Benjamin Lowe of Taylor's University talking to us about some of the actions that he'd like to see the Ministry of Digital Communications consider with regard to the Media Council and also media literacy. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back to discuss more legal reforms that would strengthen the local media industry. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. I'm Shazana, and today we're exploring policy recommendations to strengthen our media institutions that the new government should consider. Earlier, we heard from Dr. Benjamin Lowe of Taylor's University on the importance of an independent media council, as well as ways to cultivate media literacy. Joining us on the line now to discuss further reforms for the media industry is Wachla Naidu, Executive Director at the Centre for Independent Journalism. Hi, Wachla. Thank you for speaking with me today. Now, earlier we heard from Benjamin Lowe on the importance of setting up a media council. And this is a proposal that the CIJ also supports and is working actively on. Can this council be set up without the government first addressing legislation that restricts the media, such as the much reviled Printing Presses and Publication Act? Uh, yes. Uh, good morning, Shazna. Um, definitely. I think there needs to be a, a broader reform. And even um, the Pakatan Harapan, I think Kita Bole um, action plan has really focused on protecting media freedom and promoting free speech. We often live in this environment where there's so many laws uh, basically criminalizing our expressions and our speech. And we need to know that these laws are actually uh, a barrier to what you know we mean by promoting free speech. So a legal environment that focuses on reviewing these laws, especially the Communications and Multimedia Act, the Printing Process and Publications Act, the Sedition Act, and many other acts would mean it's the first st- uh, stepping stone in creating an environment that actually promotes free speech and it reduces the fear, the fear that we often live in. Mm. And um, as you mentioned, Pakatan Harpan very clearly said that the repeal of these draconian legislations, it's something that um, they would be implementing. Do you foresee Mm -hmm. any challenges that could impede the PH-led government from implementing these changes? I mean, we do know that it's a unity government in place at the moment. Will there be obstacles that you foresee? 
Yeah, definitely. I think the unity government in itself could be an obstacle because there's there's likely to, you know, continued political turmoil. And I really hope that we don't go through another crisis. But we there is a possibility that uh, Anwar Ibrahim and his ministers are constantly going to be, you know, uh, checking themselves uh, to ensure that this doesn't happen. Mm. But the flip side to it would be possible knee-jerk responses as well, right? Where we revert to common practice of just cracking down on dissent, cracking down on anyone that's possibly going to be challenging the government. Mm. You know, these are things that needs to be uh, avoided. But also most of these reform process uh, initiatives as promised within the Kitabole Action Plan could also be undermined by, you know, the continuing uh, increase in hate speech and mis- disinformation. There could also be possibility where attention is so concentrated on addressing the economic crisis, the employment issues, food security, climate crisis, that you know it takes away the attention from institutional reforms or legal reforms, mm-hmm. right? And one other fear that I, I have is often we hear of national security imperative um, taking precedent over other reforms. And I really want to note, um, you know, one of the action plans, uh, number 38, which is on national security, mm-hmm. but which clearly states that, you know, um, that national security should be looked within the lens of public interest. And I really hope that is upheld and it doesn't become another challenging ground for us in looking at uh, looking forward to these reforms. Mm. Just to uh, just to be clear, Washla, I suppose when we're talking about the, the repeal of the draconian legislation we mentioned um, and other reforms for national security, it's not just digital communications that um, we would be looking at, but it's also the Ministry of Home Affairs. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that the, this requires our better alignment between the different ministries. Uh, of course, a lot of it, when we are talking about you know, media freedom or free speech, a lot of it is going to be concentrated within the digital communication ministry. But the ministry also would play a very critical role in the way it engages with the home ministry, because I think a lot of discussions, particularly around Printing Presses and Publications Act uh, and the, uh, the Personal uh, Data Protection Act, is also within different ministries. Mm. But one other key uh, ministry or agency that we'll be looking at will be, of course, the portfolio held by Azalina Oltman mm. as the, the Minister of Law, right? Uh, and the engagement we have with Bayu, the Bahagian Hal Ewal uh, Undang Undang under the Prime Minister's Office, because they actually promote quite a number of progressive uh, legislations that would aim to protect our, our freedom of speech and our freedom of expression. Okay. So there is requirement to align itself and not, you know, not undermine each other, really. And earlier you spoke about um, the issue of hate speech and disinformation. We have seen a lot of that um, in the lead up to GE15 and even after the election results came out. I mean, one of the arguments for retaining some of the um, laws we mentioned is the need for action to be taken against perpetrators of hate speech and disinformation, especially on social media. Um, Do you think that we will then need new laws to counter these kinds of media phenomena or is the solution in other forms of policy action? Uh, Shazana, one of my biggest fear is that we would now start talking about new law. Mm. We have to kind of curtail these kinds of discourse because a legal response has never worked. 
right? And often we see the laws that are in front of us are used indiscriminately and are often abused to censor speech, right? But what we need to do is locate hate speech and disinformation within the current um, landscape, right? And this is not a new landscape. We've gone through decades of race-based polarization. We've lived through divide and rule based on race and religion, right? Now, to break this pattern, there has to be a longer-term measure to be put in place. Yeah, even the United Nations Rabat Plan of Action on Hate Speech goes beyond uh, or puts in place recommendations that would require the state to go beyond legislative approach, right? One of the first things, actually, that the state could do um, is to set up a multi-stakeholder commission to review its, you know, the deep-rooted dynamics and cause of, you know, hate speech and disinformation, you know, in Malaysia mm. and provide solutions. Mm. We also require, the state now, the new um, government will, will must invest and engage with various stakeholders, right? The alternative narratives more critical now rather than just restricting speech. Mm, right? mm. And it's also critical to engage with and hold social media companies accountable. Now, I'm not saying that you need to now come up with a new regulation or regulatory framework for social media, but rather to hold them accountable to their content moderation in itself. It requires, again, extensive engagement with the social media companies, right? Mm. And finally, what is really critical is how to educate and create media literacy. I know Dr. Benjamin spoke about it. But media literacy in itself is the one that is going to break a, break down decades of influence, right? And, and it requires a lot of awareness raising, a lot of investment in educating the public and providing the alternative narrative around unity and harmony, mm. which is critical rather than focus on divisive language. So really the uh, answer to hate speech and disinformation, it's going to require more than just maybe a band-aid solution. It really has to go looking into uh, the roots of the issue, the roots of disunity in our country. And that really will take a lot of political will. We have about a minute left on the clock. Um, what are the key actions that you want to see from the government in the short term, I suppose? I suppose over the next year or maybe even five years, what do you think um, the government should prioritize when it comes to the media industry? Yeah, Shazana, everything is short term at this point in time, <laughs> right? With our politics, I think there are four key things they have to do. Of course, the re reform initiative is going to be critical, right? Just to continue, stop down the crack, stop the crackdown on FOE. You know, focus on specific laws, set up a mechanism such as the media council. But the critically and as important is to make sure there are infrastructures and access when it comes to you know addressing, say, the di digital divide. Because if you're talking media literacy you must make sure that the access is there. Mm -hmm. At the same time, also to work on issues related to privacy and data protection, reduce surveillance and reduce online violence. I think these are going to be critical. And most importantly, we have to look at information flow and within the entire information ecosystem. As such, we need a right to information legislation that takes us away from this cloud of secrecy, right? Because you need to build the trust and to build the trust so that you can combat disinformation, hate speech. And finally, of course, is to empower the fourth estate, which is the media. Again, it's to rebuild its credibility, the trust. Otherwise, you know, we are going to continue to live in this era where disinformation is going to profit. Uh, 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 prof uh, so it, it requires a lot of attention. And it's a lot of it is actually immediate because we can't delay this, right? 
because these measures are progressive measures, but the, the government must show its commitments to address this. So put in place, set up the commission to deal with this information and hate speech. You know, work on these reforms immediately without delay. Washla, thank you very much mm-hmm. for speaking with me. That was an extensive list for the new government. I hope they're paying attention. I've been speaking to Washla Naidu, Executive Director of the Centre for Independent Journalism. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Stay tuned for the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.